episode 25 of the Metro Fan TV Weekly Rundown, coming to you live after a two-week hiatus. I was on vacation. It was very nice. But <laughs> now we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Lenzo Fernando here to talk to you, coming to you in the middle of a crisis season, early on in the season, apparently. Um, how are you do? How are you doing, Fernando? Um, are you working yet? Um, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I'm not happy at all with what we've seen. What we, wow. With what we've seen. Um, I guess what kind of keeps me, uh, keeps me kind of at bay with, with, you know, what we're seeing is the fact that, you know, this is largely the same team that broke the league record last year. And, um, a lot of the things that I see that's kind of happening on the field are correctable without any kind of, you know, big massive thing you know player signing or anything like that i think for the most part a lot of these issues can kind of just be sorted out through various ways um there's i don't think the team is fundamentally broken or fundamentally flawed in, in any kind of major way that that i think would uh would cause any kind of serious concern you know if the things keep on going the way they go well then yeah at that point we'll i guess see how things are but yeah um, um my finger's getting close to the panic button but it's not i don't think it's quite there yet uh, yeah, I mean, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for all that um, uh, we, for all that's been kind of made of this slow start, we do have to remember that it still is only March, right? And there's plenty of time. I hope, I hope, anyway, for things to turn around. But I guess without further ado, we'll kind of dig into uh, what exactly are those things that are kind of holding back the team right now. And um, I guess. Well, we're not going to sugarcoat it. We're not just we're not going to beat around the bush. I think um, we are in the state that we are because of the performance that the first team put out against the Chicago Fire away in Chicago over the last weekend. And for the lack of a better term, it was an absolute dog shit performance, right? So, um, <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I think. We, a lot of us, you know, we were saying that there are some going to be some mulligans early on in the season. You're going to have some rotation. You're not going to have all the uh, available players that would be, like, um, available to you that you may want. And it was significant. Like, the Saturday game was significant for us because this was sort of like the first time all season where you had the starting 11 that started most of the second half going into like going into the stretch run for the shield right last year. And it was a team that looked, I mean, with the obvious exception of Tyler Adams, you know, I think this team for the most part was one that everyone considered to be like the full Voltron, you know, it was supposed to be the full juggernaut. This lineup was, and I think, you know, like any time that your best, your quote unquote best 11 puts out a performance like that, where it looked very listless and it looked like they put up about as much fight in the center of the field as a wet paper bag, like you would, <laughs> you would start to feel a bit worried. I think it's a very natural reaction to a very poor performance by, um, what is supposed to be a very strong team, right? And I think, um, you know, I think you could kind of pinpoint a few problem areas. I think um, 
for me, I think I was noting that the center midfield kind of needed someone who could, who wasn't going to be so easily bullied off the ball. I mean, like for all Sean Davis and Mark Chicago, for all that they, all that Sean and Riza bring to the table, like um, it's it's kind of it's kind of a thing where, you know, I think it's it's clear that they're not going to be the most physical dudes. They're not going to be the most. Um, they're not going to be the ones to be able to stand up a lot to, you know, physicality in midfield and the way that Chicago came out to play us last year and the way that Chicago came out to play us this year showed again, you know, I think Mo Adams had an absolutely fantastic game in the center of the field. Um, and it took away a lot of the, took away a lot of space from a lot of our best creators in the middle. And it forced us generally to try, and as a result of that, they generally looked a bit panicked and went to go long. But I think the main issue as uh, has been the ma- the major center of discussion on um, the uh, RBNY, like a Twitter sphere, an online sphere, is obviously has been this kind of worrying shift in, um, I think, the tactical setup of the team, right? I think we were noting that, you know, uh, we weren't quite pressing as much as we generally are supposed to. And in lieu of the press, there were some of these, you know, um, strange, slow possession sets that, quite frankly, didn't look particularly great, right? Like, um, what kind of alarmed me the most about this game was just kind of how non-existent our off-ball movement was. And it seemed to me that it was a team that was kind of in two minds about the uh, tactical system that they were trying to execute. You know, I think like you saw some guys who were still assuming it was an all-out press, but then you also saw some guys who were assuming that it was possession weren't quite making the support runs that they were supposed to to open up space in a possession-oriented attacking setup. You know, I think it's the the thing that we kind of get is that it was a it was a tactical setup that kind of where possession was trying to be introduced as this um, added facet to it to try and beat teams that like would be trying to bunker down against us. You know, it seemed to have unfortunately become the dominant philosophy to go. And as a result of that, we kind of ended up getting a very mishmashed performance that kind of was a combination of the worst that both things had to offer, you know, like a lack of intensity in the press as well as, slow and plotting possession. And I think, I think discussion of the game kind of has to begin there. You know, I think we we're a bit on edge about, um, I think what this, um, what this recent development is, because I think the assumption that we had going to the season is that we were just going to see more. We were going to see the usual press. We we're going to see business as usual, but now it appears that, this new tactical wrinkle has been introduced and it doesn't quite seem to be very effective in the early going. Like what's your kind of take on all of this? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all kind of weird. Um, I mean, I, I definitely think that there are issues going on right now that kind of extend beyond just anything tactically, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later on, but it, it's interesting to see, the te- how the team plays, and then also listen to how players kind of describe the game and then listen to Chris himself kind of describe things. 
and the, the whole possession talk, I thought, I th- is, is obviously the big talking point. And um, uh, Bobby Warshaw made, a, you know, he had he put out that article a couple of days ago, you know, kind of talking up this whole idea of, you know, them kind of shifting more to, to possession and, and, you know, using that as some kind of like um, – uh, some kind of way to deal with teams that 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 don't who who just don't want the ball themselves, who kind of just want to give you know the team a, a, a possession. And um, he Chris had an interesting uh an interesting comment uh I think it was yesterday during um during the training day. So this is a direct quote. He says um uh so. Dylan Butler put out an article. He says, while the Rebels ideally want to press and counter press high up the field, causing turnovers in the attacking third, teams are defending in low blocks and inviting New York to keep the ball. His reply to that was, we work on that all the time because there's two parts of the game. You either have the ball or you don't. So if teams are just going to give us the ball, we ha- we'll have to understand what that means. We don't want to get lulled into just a pa- into just passing the ball around. We have to be true to who we are which we know we like to play fast, we like to play forward, we like to run. So if teams aren't going to let us do that by sitting deeper and controlling spaces the way uh, that way, we have to make it happen. And then later on, he follows up uh, by saying, um, even this dialogue about us being possession-based, it's not what we talk about here, it's not what our goal is. That is the first time he's like directly uh, responded to a lot of the conversations going on about possession that even extend into last year because i mean a couple of games into the season a couple of games after he took over there were some weird things going on and a lot of people kind of just said oh it's it's you know they're possessing more and then that's a you know we kind of theorized this idea that it was they weren't becoming a possessing a possession team it was more just certain wrinkles in certain moments mostly kind of outside the box and then now it, it seems like maybe like you said you know like like you know, you end you uh, you led into this whole discussion. How sometimes it appears like that's just it's maybe accidentally become almost like the prevailing tactic. So it's interesting for him to kind of like just totally brush that off when you kind of see them actually doing that. So I I don't I don't know I don't know it, it's 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 for me it's confusing and it's weird. I mean. I, I don't think he's going to flat out lie and, and say, you know, that they're not doing that when they're actually training to do that. So if he's saying that, no, we, we are still trying to, you know, play our, our, our usual style where we're trying to press high and all the other stuff, but at the same time, acknowledging that they have to play differently sometimes when other teams want to uh, basically want to give possession, to, uh, uh, you know, to New York, um, it just again, it kind of just muddles things a little bit. It, it's 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 weird. So I don't. I think it's clear that they are that he is trying to have them do things a little bit differently. I mean, he he's even talked about that himself. I mean, a couple of days ago he had mentioned um, something about. Uh, um, I think he even acknowledged that sometimes they just have to learn to be better with the ball. Um, he acknowledged that they're that they're trying to do some different stuff in the final third to kind of distribute the attack a little more evenly instead of being bound, you know, overlying on one side versus the other, or just trying to ram it down the middle like they used to, do, you know, they, like they used to through uh, through Sasha. So, like, I get all these things, but I like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if 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 there's if he's just not communicating 
if he's not communicating what he expects the tactics to actually be, I don't know if he's just not doing a good job of communicating, okay, in these only in these certain moments you're supposed to be doing certain things and and they just haven't learned when those moments are. And like you said, some you have half a team trying to press and you have the other the other half spreading out and it's just it's it's a muddled mess. And I think it just makes I think things get even worse when you start factoring in the other problems. The fact that we clearly haven't uh, we the team hasn't adjusted for not having Tyler Adams anymore. Uh, Kamar is apparently not dead. Awesome, he's alive, but he really wasn't playing as high up as 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 he normally does. Was that tactical? Was that just him? You know, him trying to to you know get back into the groove of things. Like there's Brad, uh, Brad's playing a little bit deeper, creeping into the midfield. Like there's just a lot going on. And he throw in, in this, in, in this mix teams, look, teams are playing against us a lot more direct teams. Teams saw what Atlanta did last year. And that seems to be all they want to do now. Just long balls over the midfield and, you know, right, right to our back line or sometimes even beyond it. And, and, and they just don't, they're not even giving the team uh, a, 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 a chance to even press. So they, other teams are doing that, but we've seen teams do that before and we've been able to handle it a little bit better, I think. So I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think Chris is trying to make this into some like just generic possession based team. I don't believe that at all. I do think he's trying to make some changes, but he's managing that very poorly. And he's also managing, you know, lineup decisions poorly. He's, he's managing, uh, 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 you know, Brad's decline poorly. I mean, there's a whole slew of things again that we can probably get into later on, but I'm, I'm not this whole possession based thing, I think appears worse than it really is, but it's still a problem that ends up being worse than it should be just because of, of other mitigating factors. If that makes yeah, any I, sense. No, no. I, I, I mean, I think it's a whole like cocktail of issues, obviously, you know, I think if uh, we wanted to uh, address every single one of them individually, it'd probably end up being like a seven hour episode, right? Because yeah. I think there was a lot that you could pick out from, because a lot went wrong. And I think it's a lot of it is a, a lot of very, um, it's a lot of issues that just kind of end up compounding each other and result in the performance that you saw on Saturday. But I think what I wanted to focus on a bit more was, you know, I think as I mentioned it at the top of my analysis, that um, the off-ball movement was kind of shot, you know. And I think um, a lot of that comes down to the manager's, like, instructions to the players about how they want to execute the system, right? Execute this added wrinkle that they are adding to the press, or at least with the intent of adding to the press, you know, I think... And, you know, it's true, a lot of that does really fall on the manager because it is up to the manager to kind of put the players at his disposal on a platform to succeed. I mean, that's the fundamental tenet of managing. You know, if you can't communicate that platform to your players, you're in a lot of trouble. It's as simple as that. And I think it was clear, you know, I think um, what I did note is that, like, you know, it's possession... Possession and the press are not like two like diametrically opposed like things, you know, like other Red Bull global managers have have shown that you can add like elements of possession to the press to make it that much more lethal. You know, I think, but 
it is noteworthy that the only manager that's been successfully been able to implement this across the entire Red Bull Global Network that we've heard of is Marco Rose at Leipzig. It's not sorry, Marco Rose at Salzburg. Sorry. Like, and when you watch Marco Rose's Salzburg, it's not possession that the way that we saw RBNY possess the ball against Chicago. You know, it's as Armis mentions, it's very fast moving possession with the intent of always moving the ball forward quickly, you know, and if you watch Salzburg's shape when they are in these possession sets, it's a lot more compressed and it's a lot more compact than the shape that we saw against Chicago. You know, I think if you can pinpoint what we kind of look like against Chicago, like a why maybe our press wasn't quite as lethal as it was supposed to be was because most of our guys were really spread out. A lot of our guys were really, um, shall we say, a lot of our guys were really static as well off the ball. And when they received the ball in possession, they weren't really making the decisions quick enough to move the ball onwards to try and stretch the opposition defense, right? I think there's a lot of compounding issues here. And one of them seems to me is that the team doesn't still doesn't quite know how to move off the ball in context of these sets. You know, maybe this is something that will take time, but it's also possible that this team just isn't really set up to play that way. Because, I mean, we, we, we note the, la- the general lack of secondary playmakers on this team outside of Florian Below, who is now probably out for the season. And on top of that... um. Like, you you have other issues as well, you know? I mean, like, we, we don't have too many, like, um, great dribblers of the ball on either wing. You know, I think they do a lot of their work, like, in the counter press as opposed to being asked to create when they're on the ball, right? So, um, the attacking movement, I think, is probably the most alarming thing from Saturday for me, as opposed to anything to do with... How, static possession or how plotting and slow it looked you know because they didn't move like a red bull team and i think in the past you know we've seen some other attack but what kind of encourages me very small silver lining i guess is that we've seen other red bull teams struggle early on with uh struggle early on with all these um new wrinkles right we saw jesse with the four triple two in 2017 And um, they recovered down the line. You know, I don't believe that energy drink soccer has gone away in one off season. Like to me, that would be kind of a ludicrous statement. And I would really question like um, how well this system is thought out. If it can be coached, if something that's apparently so complex can mysteriously disappear in one off season. Yeah. I I, I would even argue that, that it, that, Part of why we're seeing a bit of a mess is, you know, if again, it's for me, it's it's a combination of of teams deciding to play very direct, teams just doing their best to completely, you know, bypass the press. So the team is trying to press. I mean, they they were pressing at you know 
at times, but I think it's the fact that they're they're both trying to press and adjust pressing for a team that doesn't want to be pressed while at the same time trying to, I guess, bring in some of these wrinkles of, of, of maybe a little bit of possession. If it, if the team was just saying, okay, forget energy, any, uh, energy drink soccer, we're just, we're just going to possess the ball. The team would look different. Like I think the team might actually look a little bit better. I think what makes them look so awful is that they are at moments trying to press, but they're kind of tripping on their own feet a little bit because like, like you said, like you said before, sometimes half the team is trying to press far up the field and then on the other side, you have guys drop back a little bit deep because they're okay. You know, let we'll drop back a little bit to kind of let them bring the ball to us. You know what I mean? Like it, it's there's for me, it's there's a lot of mixed messages going on tied with the fact that teams are successfully being able to bypass the press. I mean, that's that they they are successfully doing that. Um, one of the interesting things I I noticed though, when I looked at the uh, the player position charts and the heat map. Um, the the attacking front was not they were too spread out that was the most spread out i think i've seen them in a, in, in a while uh royer was way separated out left way out wide wider than i've seen him in a long time you know this is usually someone who's you know relatively relatively frequently tucked in as a second striker which you know i think is his best is, is his best role his best position he's not really going to do anything out wide um and Kamar really wasn't pushed that high up. I mean, his average position was was a little further back. His heat map was a little further up than what the the position chart showed. But there's there wasn't that that usual like strong blend between um, between uh, between those two. And and you know usually usually what happens is Kamar is able to push high up to provide that width. That allows Royer to basically tuck in as a second striker. So with Kamar not pushing so far up, Royer was basically forced to stay a little bit out wide. He was basically providing the width. But then you have Wheel on the other side who was tucked in a bit. You have, you have you know, Brad and, and, and basically everyone except for Royer kind of stayed where they normally kind of move around a little bit, I guess, to a certain, maybe not so much Brad. Royer was just way out in his own little island and Kamar was just like not really – you know, pushing forward and attack that much. That's kind of just that to me just shows again that there's a disconnect between what they're supposed to be doing. I didn't notice anything from Chicago that that would make me have have felt like okay, maybe what they're doing is you know they're doing something to 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 pull Rory out wide or 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 keep Kamar a little back. I mean, maybe Kamar sits back a little bit more than usual because they are. You know, playing direct, and they are launching. You know, long balls basically directly to the back line, but that's. I mean, you, you have to find ways, I guess, to kind of deal with. Like, it's just, it's a mess. I, I, I don't know. The, the The whole thing is, the whole thing is a mess. Um, what I will say though is, with Tyler Adams not being there, with Kamar not seemingly playing as advanced as he was for whatever the reason. And with Brad dropping deep, I think that just makes everything a lot worse. If e- even if there were no instructions for any kind of possession-based stuff, it's just going to make things even worse. So I, I don't, I still don't think that that if there, even if there's any confusion as far as 
what tactical stuff they should be doing and when they should be pressing, when they shouldn't, when they should be dropping back a little bit, when they, you know, when they shouldn't. I, I'm still not fully convinced that is the biggest issue. I'm still convinced, me personally, that the single biggest issue is there are too many, there are too many other things happening combined that make this into a big problem. And there's not necessarily one major issue. Because this, because the way I look at it is this: this, this, this team in full EDS mode last year, Brad was way up. Brad was way up. Kamar pushed up. Royer tucked in as a second striker. Amir and Roy, Amir and Kamar basically pro, uh, provided the width, which allowed Velo and Gaku to 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 kind of tuck in as as the two nines, and they just dominated the midfield. And the transition was lethal. Absolutely lethal. And in at the end of that quick transition was one of the greatest goal scorers in the history of MLS. What we're seeing now is regardless of any anything else that's happening, you're not seeing that anymore. You don't you don't have Tyler Adams there to kind of clean things up to to spark that attack. Because you don't have Tyler Adams, you can't have everyone else push and, and kind of have that confidence to rush forward. Kamar hasn't been around, so you haven't had that guy on uh, on the outside, or even Amir for that matter. You haven't had the guys that really ex- to, to excel with pushing forward and, and 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 giving that width. Royer has been tucking in the way he used to. Gaku doesn't have that guy, and he's barely played himself. But when he has played, he hasn't had that guy to kind of tuck in like uh, 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 like Velo did. And on on at the end of all that. You have Brad dropping back deep. So now there's really no one up front to kind of finish that quick transition to go to goal. And to make things worse, Brad is not exactly the fastest, quickest guy you want in, in, in anywhere near the midfield to help with, with, with the press, the counter press, and a quick transition. He's not the guy you want at all. So having him drop back is just slowing the team down, whether they it's it's intentional or not. It's what's happening. There's been so many times where I've seen him, like basically where Royer is supposed to be, and and everyone's kind of just shrugging their shoulders, like, okay, what do we do now? Because there's no one up top to pass it to 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 start any kind of fast transition to go to goal. Because the guy that you want, your your main guy you want going towards goal is is next to you. So there, there's there's a whole slew of things. You you combine all this stuff into one pot. We we get what we've seen. Yeah, and I think. You, I think, like, you, you, you could tell, you know, like, I think the team hasn't clearly is out of sorts because I think guys are showing up in places where they're just simply not supposed to be, right? Like, I think um, BWP, like, dropping that far back is one thing. But you then it creates this um, spiraling effect, I think, because then Kaku drops back deeper to try and get on the ball. Um, um but I think it was really also like when you talk about the fullback positioning and it was very alarming to see, I think how deep the back line was in general, because this team doesn't succeed if the back line isn't pushing up to compress the opposition into a half field space. And, you know, like I've never seen the back line at times be as deep as they were in order to counter the fact that they were dropping long balls over the top. You know, I think once you've dropped the back line deeper, you've more or less given up the space game. And that to me was just kind of an example of a kind of a rather poor adjustment, I think. 
because I think they only really started playing a bit deeper after the second half to counter the fact that Schweinsteiger and co were having lots of fun playing these direct balls over the top. You know, I think in the past you'd see Jesse respond to this by switching to three in the back. Um, as opposed to dropping the back line deeper, you know, it's like, it's little things like this where, um, you know, I think where you kind of have to have a look at whether or not like um, certain d decisions during the game state, again, are affecting our position to play in an idealized form, you know, and I still think that to a degree, Armis is asking the right questions but he's coming up with like the wrong answers or the wrong solutions for a lot of these things still, you know? And I think that is a bit worrying to see. I mean, again, like I want to stress, it's still like March, it's April. Like maybe he figures it out later in the season and he learns from these things, but you know, like there's only so many times on this podcast, we're going to where we can come out and make excuses for the manager. You know, I think like, the fact that I have to do, I have to stress this again in April. You know, I mean, I, I I'd like not to. <laughs> you know, I think sometime <laughs> this month I'd like, but uh, I mean, it's the reality of the situation. I guess it's frustrating, but you know, hopefully, hopefully, like the hopefully it just hopefully they just kind of learn from it. I guess. I mean, it sounds really empty coming out of my mouth every single week but it is what it is i guess i, I can't really um i don't know i can't no, i don't think there anything i can say will help make the manager have an aha moment or have an epiphany or turn him into like literally the greatest manager that red bull global has ever seen like i can only just really hope that he figures it out because like i think as you mentioned i think if this continues for most of the season that's where you kind of have to start asking questions of whether or not he's capable to lead this team. You know, I think it's simple as that. Like, cause what we saw on Saturday, in my opinion, wasn't acceptable. And, um, there's only so much time that you can give. That's the level of performance that we're going to be getting. Yeah. I mean, like one thing I'll say is, is, you know, he was, when it comes to the press, like, and like I said before, I don't think we've seen so many teams being so insistent on playing as direct as they have against us. Like teams are are completely changing how they play down to a fundamental level just to bypass the just to bypass the press. We used to see at least some teams try to play. Right now, one way you deal with it is yeah you draw you you play you, you play the deeper block and and you just you know you press from a deep from a deeper block we so far haven't seen that work the other solution is and as chris said you know you just give him the ball back now that's a simpler way of 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 putting it how rose uh uh rose has mentioned how how he deals with moments like that but the concept is still the same if the other team doesn't want the ball and they want to force the rebels to play with the ball Fuck you! Take the ball back and just and and you give it right back. And at some point, someone's going to break. The problem with that, though, if if we were doing that with with uh, with our best, where Brad was staying up, where we had someone like with Velo like abilities to tuck in as at second ten, 
basically if we structurally looked like we did in that first half of last year when we when 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 we had what I feel is the best Red Bull team and the, the best Red Bull starting eleven ever with Adams and Velo included, that becomes easier, I think, because you just you have that you have that ability to you have you have Adams there able to kind of just win all those second balls all all across the field, clean up so much so many so many mistakes and messes, but at the same time you have two creative guys basically you know tucking in and and, and playing with each other, um, and you have again the one of the best one of the greatest goal scorers up top waiting for things to happen waiting you know. And making making his great runs, and you have our second best goal scorer kind of tucking in as a second winger. You you with that type of setup, I think we can we can deal with it better. And I think we did deal with it better. I think last year when we were when we had our best eleven, and, and some teams try to play it all direct. I think we did a good job of forcing other teams to eventually play. And if they didn't want to play, we were quick enough and lethal enough in transition, even if we were just a little bit deeper. To, to, to just go, just go for it and make things happen and at least get the ball back into where in, 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 in the third, in the final third where we want it to be. We don't seem capable of doing that this year. And I'm, I, I was asked this question and, and I'm, I'm just going to pose it here. You know, what if Chris, what if Chris just knows that the team can't do that? What if it's possible? Like, what if it's, what if Chris knows that, that we just simply don't have the tools like we did at our very best at the beginning of at the, the first half of last year to just give back possession and be as lethal in the press as, as, as we could. I'm not sure I fully buy that, but seeing how Brad is playing a little bit deeper, seeing how we haven't figured out how to replace at least part of what Adams was, was able to do, maybe there's we, – we, we also don't have the creativity now without Velo because – Everyone knows I love Wheel, but he, one thing he is not is a creative player. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe we just don't. Maybe we just don't have th- some key pieces to be able to do that. To be able to kind of just say no, we're, we're not going to allow you to uh, to play direct, and we're we're, we're just going to press even more aggressive in in certain ways and try that 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 quick transition. Um, when when we're trying to give the uh, when we try to give the ball back, but then try to push for that counter press. I mean, I'd throwing throwing shit out there, but I mean, I maybe there is something to that too. Because to me, our best eleven right now is not. Let me, let me rephrase that. the 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 team that that came out on Saturday is not as good as our best eleven in that first half of last year. And I think we're and I think in key in key positions. We're not either. Well, I think um, for me, like, I, I mean, I hold the opposite hypothesis. I just think that the uh, tactical setup right now isn't really putting our positions on a best platform to succeed. I think there is some validity to this idea that maybe we can't press as hard as we can. But I mean, the thing is that, like, we, I, like, the deal for me is, well, is that well, um, no. It's, so it's not, not that they can't press as aggressive. More that the way the idea was presented to me was not that that we can't press as aggressive, but when teams try to play direct, this this idea of of just giving the ball back and just trying to force them to possess again, where we benefited last year was we had we were 
so dynamic in 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 uh, in the attack and in transition, and because we had someone like Adams to win all those to kind of run everywhere and, and win a lot of second balls and kind of spark that quick transition. Since we don't have that, when we do try to give them the ball back, we're just not as lethal as we were. And therefore, we can't capitalize on those moments when they do try to just give the, give the ball back. Right. And maybe that's kind of forcing them to just play with the ball a bit more and, and kind of just build up a little more traditionally. Right. Yeah, I guess. But I think that, that just kind of goes back to where I, I, I'm not really sure if this, like, um, this tactic that we've seen to counter that has been the answer so far. And I think a lot of that, I mean, like, the deal is that you can spend like an unbelievable obscene amount of money like on certain players right but if they're not going to be put on a, in a position where they can succeed and where they can do their best then you're only going to get diminishing returns you know i think like sooner rather than later like i think more serious questions serious questions will have to be asked about whether or not this wrinkle or like what is supposed to be a wrinkle anyway is going to be the thing that gets us there. You know, I think the jury is still definitely out in that, in my opinion, but if this continues and we don't see some changes, I think to the lineup, try and maybe counter some of that, like, and I'm honestly going to start questioning the magic capabilities. I don't know. Like, uh, I, I, I had a full, more fully, uh, I, I didn't really flesh that idea out very well in my head, but I think it, does ring true you know i think if the tactics are wrong players that you're trying to insert into that setup aren't going to succeed and to a degree you're kind of seeing that with matthias jorgensen like i wouldn't consider removing a midfielder for another striker to be a really good platform for maddie to show what he can do you know it's stuff like that that really does kind of uh that really does admittedly make me kind of nervous you know i think like i'm not really sure if they can if the managers really hit a formula yet yet keyword is yet okay where what we have at our disposal is being you know like what we where what we have at our disposal is being given room to shine but i guess uh, on that note i think we'll move on to um the stock ups and stock downs and i'm gonna do something for this that I don't think I thought I'd need to do, or at least this early on in the season. Um, I'm just going to give the whole team a stock down, man. I mean, like, I, I, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, if we have title ambitions, we can't go out and play like that, and a manager can't, particularly, can't set the team up to go out and play like that. You know, I think there are, what this game showed is that there are very clear issues with how the starting 11 is set up at this moment. And it's going to be on him to find the answers in the coming weeks. You know, I think um, whether that means changing up the center midfield combination or rethinking the way that the team wants to build up an attack, you know, those are two, those are two things that I think need the most like dire um immediate that are needed the most immediate attention and i guess for that matter i'm gonna give the manager two stock downs actually because that was 
I mean, I, I, I think I still think that a lot of the issues begin and end. No, begin with him. I wouldn't say end with him because he's not the end of the problem. You know, I think he's unfortunately become a figurehead for a lot of the warts that are popping up. But you have to kind of start there, you know, and I think um, it comes down to this idea of whether or not he's properly communicating to the players what he, his vision for the team, you know. And, you know, I mean, I'm not calling time on it yet. A lot can change in the uh, coming weeks, but yeah, you do. But I think it's fair at this moment to kind of question how things have been so far. How about you? Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's probably fair. Um, I'm going to get my stock up to, to, to Mwil just because he's, he's like probably the, the only player that I see and I'm probably wrong. There may have been a couple other ones, but for guys who've like had a lot of minutes this year, he looks like he's giving it his all every single game It laid too, I guess. Um, but from just to, just from the previous game, uh, I or two games, I'd have to give it to Wheel. He, I'll give it to him. He, whatever's going on, he still goes out there. He still runs. He, he still, you know, he's still trying to do things. Uh, I'll give him a stock up, um, and that's pretty much it. I, I, I think I give a stock down to to basically everyone else, man. I mean, Long and Parker have not looked at all like they did last year, especially Parker. Parker's actually looked just flat out fucking horrendous this year. Just want to be very, very blunt that he's been absolutely atrocious this season, I think. Um, and he was responsible for um, for the own goal that, that ultimately lost, uh, cost him three points. Um, but yeah, they, they just, they haven't looked, the, the, both of them haven't looked good at all this whole season. Um And and the, the big one's going to go go to Chris. I mean, look, I'm still not con- fully convinced that the biggest issue is 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 um I I definitely think there are tactical decisions being made that are a mistake. I'm still not convinced that it's like directly possession based. I do think that what he is trying to do there is causing some issues. But like even if you're to say, you know what, guys, right now let's just go full EDS, we're still gonna have problems. In my opinion, we're like we're we're not just going to suddenly become you know the 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 the, the first half twenty eighteen New York Redbulls again. It's it's not going to happen. There are other considerable problems that I think people might be overlooking a little bit because of this weird kind of tactical stuff we've we've been seeing in this whole you know possession narrative that I I, I do think is an issue. It's going to be very clear, and I do think that is a problem. But for me, at the end of the day, Chris is the manager. He's the one that comes up with the roster decisions. He's the one that comes up with the tactics. And and he's got some big responsibilities this year. He he is he's got the task of trying to figure out how to how to deal with not having Tyler Adams there. And there is a guy who for the last year was talked up as the the next Tyler Adams. Jesse flat out said that he at that point this is sometime in the summer that he had the he was further developed at that age than Tyler Adams was. There is a very very high bar set there. So I see problems in that in that spot, and I see a guy who was sold to us as basically the reason why it was okay to move on from Tyler Adams, and he hasn't basically played like really at all this year. 
He played once, I think. That that's on that's on that's on Chris. That's that that's on him. So while that might be a problem, he so far he's dealt with it very poorly. That is one hundred percent on him. Another thing he has to deal with this season is managing Bradley's decline. I've been inching closer and closer to the panic button on 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 Brad this whole season so far. I'm bashing my head in the fucking button right now. I'm I'm jumping from a third floor fucking window and just just diving right onto the fucking button. Brad <laughs> is he's he's not the same guy. Period. I I I if he gets if he gets 13 goals this year, I'll 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 see that as a, as a as as a good solid like season for him. I I think what we saw at the tail end of last year was not just him it was was an anomaly. I think we're seeing Brad I think we're seeing it. I think for the last two, three years, people have been saying, oh, is this the last year? Is this the last year? I hate to say it. I think this might be his last year. And it's up to Chris to manage this. And so far, he's done a poor job at that. I'm sorry. The way this team plays, you cannot have that typical, oh, let's just have the striker play deep and be a little more creative. This team is not designed to play like that. It's not. At least not our best that we saw last year. We, we can't have that. So he has a very, very, very big decision to make. And ultimately, again, it's his it's his responsibility. Are you going you have a guy that the team just spent two and a half million dollars on to bring in, who has shown some 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 decent signs, I think, that that he could be potentially what, what we're all hoping uh, hoping for him to be. But it's he's got to decide either he's going to do start starting Matthias more. Or if he's going to be subbing Matthias in, he's got to sub. He's got to sub for Bradley. If he, if he wants to do a two striker deal, awesome. I am so I've been I've been begging for a full on straight up two striker formation for years now. This shit of of of, of having Brad drop back, trying to find a way to, to to get him to do something so he isn't completely washed or some shit. That's just not going to work with the way this team plays. So how Chris deals with that this season is going to make or break the season. For me, it's the and the third thing is figuring out how to replace what Velo did. He couldn't he couldn't figure it out all of last year. We we, we got results, credit to him. He figured out ways to, to to get by, but we can't do that this year. We he needs to find a way to replace what Velo did and what he provided so we can be that 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 just a ridiculous team dick punch team that we saw in that first half. Maybe it's maybe it's over Fernandez. I don't know. But he has to figure that out. To me, those are the big three things that he has to figure out. Fuck the tack, fuck the possession stuff. I don't, I don't even. That that's whatever, man. For me, having Brad drop back the way he has is ruining the midfield. Not having another creative guy like Velo is fucking the transition, and not having someone like Tyler to clean things up is killing their confidence. It's killing their press, and they're getting killed for it. If Chris doesn't manage those things well this season, we're fucked. And so far, as of April April third, he's done a piss poor job. And as long as he keeps doing a piss poor job at managing those, he's gonna he's gonna be my stock down. Damn. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, I guess. Um, yeah. That 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 does it for a explosive uh, recap of this uh, Chicago game. Um, uh, we'll move on to uh, adjustments for Minnesota. I guess um, we do welcome. The Minnesota, we do welcome Minnesota United to Red Bull Arena 
um, Saturday? At Which seven? is bullshit. We should be going to Minnesota. <laughs> I mean, Allianz looks beautiful, I guess, for... I mean, the, the team's not doing well right now, so we might as well talk about some other nice things. Like, I guess Allianz <laughs> is a really, really nice arena, and the Red Loons are the coolest motherfuckers on the planet. So um, they got those two things going for them. Um, this is now a Red Loon Stand podcast, you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to reveal my hand too soon. But I think I think we're gonna be we're gonna be Minnesota United fans now. So yeah, um, Minnesota. Wait, do United. they have? Wait, do, do they have all three uh, three DPs used? Um, Darwin Quintero, Jan Grigas. I think that's it. Perfect. Yeah, so I think it's. I think that's they all- just have two. I might be wrong. Good. Oh wait, no, they have that a uh, fucking uh, Colombian fella. What's his name? Angelo uh, okay. Angelo Hernandez. Oh, no, no. Let, 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 let yeah. me Google this real fast, actually. Um. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't. I can't support a a, a cowardice team with three DPS. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, Angelo Rodriguez. Yeah, I'm sorry. They got three DPS. So I don't think we can support uh, this, but I do nope. support my boy Ico Parra. Yeah. Um, and Vito Manone, Arsenal <laughs> legend. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's a bit of a new look Minnesota United side that is visiting Red Bull Arena this Saturday. Um, reinforcements, of course, made to, on the defensive side of the ball for them going into the season. The bit the, they were is kind of um, what is it? High, high headline. Sorry, not highlighted. Headline by the signings of Ico Parra and. Ozzy Alonso, who have been defensive standouts for basically God knows how long, um, so long as they stay on the field in Opara's case, I guess. Um, this is, I mean, like, on the one hand, it is a better Minnesota United side than the one that visited Red Bull Arena early on last year, but this is also a Minnesota United side that lost to fucking New England. So, um, <laughs> look, I mean, this is this this is kind of an thing for me is that um the orlando getting shut out by orlando at home is pretty awful it's a pretty bad look for the attack um being losing on the road to chicago and like an absolutely calamitous own goal where chicago were had like maybe the better spells of possession but we really weren't quite threatening at any sustained level throughout the game is another thing but Look, I mean, like, this Minnesota United team on paper is kind of a one-man show right about now. And it's a one-man show by the name of Darwin Quintero. Like, I mean, he's the leader for goals and assists coming into this game. Basically, everything good that has happened for this team has happened through him, for better or for worse. Um, You can talk about, like, how the back line has been bolstered now. I think it is true. Eichel Parra is a really good addition there. And it allows Francisco Calvo to bomb forward a bit more and attack. And Jan Grigas has been a pretty nice um, addition to them in midfield, helping with their transition and also helping, you know, with the idea of distributing and helping push the team forward. Like some good signings were made in Minnesota this year, but they're still not a great team. And any team that loses to fucking New England, home or away, and I'd like to say that they were away at Gillette for this one. Like, is a team that we have to beat. 
you know, and I, I, I and like I, I'm gonna be real honest with you here. Like, if we can't get past this Minnesota United side, that's where a lot of alarm bells is gonna be are gonna be ringing in my head, especially since we are playing them at home. You know, I think. Yeah. Here's the thing. I mean, the bar's been raised this year, right? We know we saw how much RBA has been a fortress in the past years. If we're going to lose that invincibility at home this year. Like it's going to set off all kinds of alarm bells in my head. I'm going to be quite honest with you when I say that. So my minimum expectation for anyone that comes to visit us is that we beat them. And I guess to try and foster construct to try and facilitate construction in a more constructive direction. I think some changes that we have to see is that we're going to start to have to see, like I said, something I mentioned, like you're going to see a, someone who can offer a bit more of bite in midfield you know and what i mean no i'm sorry not bite i mean I, i'd rather say steal steal in midfield you know because i think like um it's unfortunate that davis and rizza seem it, it, i don't think it's coincidence at this point that you can just kind of bully them out the game you know like you play hard with them you write them hard you foul the ever-living shit out of them they're going to be taken out of your element and that's where you kind of need to show bring in someone like christian caceres jr who is a lot more of a strong on-ball presence, but also has a very good passing range and is composed on the ball. You know, like if we can't transfer, like if we can't transition as hard as we used to in the press last year, then maybe if we're playing a slower game, like this is actually a perfect situation for him because he can, he's composed he can hold on to the ball. He's not going to be bullied as easily. And he has a lot wider passing range than either Davis or Rizza. So if, I mean, possession clearly, I don't think, as it turns out, is supposed to be the end goal here. But this is also a player who's clearly better built for such things. You know, like this is a player who can play those quick, like possession, RBS style possession that we want to see, you know? So I don't really, the most baffling thing for me is why he continues to sit for a midfield two that is too boom or bust for my liking. You know, I think like Rizzo wants to go out and be aggressive and be a bulldog. That's great. But unfortunately it's leaving Sean Davis exposed in the center of the field on an Island by himself, you know, he and Sean as good as he is, can't be a lone holding six. You know, I don't think he is that kind. He is that kind of player, you know, like he's more of this, um, link in midfield of anything we're sitting next to a destroyer to start the transition you know that's always kind yeah. of been the name of the game for him and he can't really go and do that with someone like Riza, who's going to kind of it's kind of a bit more of a bulldog but doesn't have the athleticism that tyler has to recover when he's caught out of position i think that's as simple as that so that's probably one switch that I make is that, you know, this is a good reason to throw Christian Castorism. in. See what he looks like next to maybe Sean Davis or Rizza. And, like, to see where it goes from there. Like, he can cover. He can settle the ball, distribute. He can, he can, he adds a different dimension to that midfield than either, I think, Sean or Rizza do. Because I think a lot of Sean and Rizza's best skill sets overlap each other. You know, and you're not going to account for the other's weakness by playing another player that's very similar to him profile, you know, and I think yeah. that would be a very good first step. Another thing I may want to see is that like, you know, if you're not going to have someone like Velo who can create, like who can, who has this wonderful combination of being able to shuttle the ball up in transition, but also distribute in and around the attacking third. 
Like, you have players on this team who can at least kind of get off the same, who can pose the same shuttling threat. You know, I think it's guys like Omir, it's guys like Andy Ivan. You know, they may not have the vision or the passing ability that Velo has, but they make things happen through on-ball stuff. Or in Omir's case, they make things happen because not only can they press, but they also move really, they move well enough off the ball to put themselves in really good positions to receive. You know, and I think that can't be understated at how much that can be a playmaking dimension. You know, if it's not going to be through traditional passing, then you have to look at non-traditional ways of making things happen. Sometimes it happens through off-ball movement. Sometimes that happens through someone who can offer, who, like Mike Grella, can kind of create something on the ball more. And that's what Andy Ivan is. While Omir's more of that, you know, sort of off-ball slash press guy who can play make that way. You know, and I think, like, as I mentioned, I think earlier in the episode, like the last two games have shown, have highlighted, they've shown spotlights on problem areas in the team. And a good first step is to see if anyone on the roster currently can help make up for those. If they do, great. And if they don't, well, that's when you start have to start to think about having to bring people in, like in the summer transfer window, to make up for that. Or maybe even swing it an inch, swing a trade for someone else in MLS who can fill in at that area. You know, I think like this is, these are questions, these are good first steps to take for this game against Minnesota United. Yeah. I mean, look, like I said, regardless of, 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 of uh, certain, of certain tactical decisions, I, I think, I think it, it, it kind of a, bi- a big piece of that is who you have on the field, you know? And, and it, I think it's pretty clear at this point that at least, given how teams are, are, are trying to play against us, Riza and, and Sean Davis just simply aren't going to work together. It's not. It, it's just not going to happen. Um, so it's up to him to make the adjustment. And and, and Kasteris is the, the, the logical choice. I mean, he, he doesn't have the the, the pure athleticism that, that Tyler does. Um, he, he probably can't run, you know, fucking seven and a half miles in a game like Tyler does, which, I mean, I still can't even wrap my head around the idea that he runs that much. Like, Dude, sometimes I don't want to drive seven and a half miles, let alone fucking run. Um, and he does that in a ninety minute in, in a ninety minute game. That that's insane. But it's okay because you know his positioning is is is, is well. He's still quick. He's still athletic. He, we've talked about it before. Where a lot of times, like he kind of just pops up somewhere. Where like, how did he end up over there? Like he's not that fast. It's because he's smart. He can read the game and he and he uses that to 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 position himself well and and to get him to places where he knows he should be. That's something that we're lacking right now. This is the, to me, a big piece of, of, of locking down that midfield and, 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 to, and, and in certain, certain ways, giving the team the confidence to push higher up again is by, by figuring out that pairing. Because if, if you don't, we saw this in 2016 when, when we were dying for, for, for a better center back, when you don't have that confidence in that, in that back line, if you don't have the confidence, like it, it, it's a system, it all relies on each other, right? If you don't have that trust in the guy in front of you or next to you, it makes it harder to be as aggressive. It makes it harder to want to push high up. So if you can get, if you could bring him in and he can provide a good portion of what Tyler was able to do, but give new wrinkles in, in his own unique abilities, then I don't know, maybe that's what, 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 what Parker and, 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 
and uh, and Long need to see in front of them maybe to give them a little more confidence since they look so fucking shaky and rattled at every goddamn ball that goes near them. Um, and then on the creative side, yeah, I think that um, that Omir Fernandez is probably the best. It's probably the best direct replacement for trying to replicate some of what Velo can do. He can't replicate what everything that he can do because Velo is a pretty unique player. But I think his skill set probably does the best job at trying to replicate that. At least just something to 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 help in that that creative side next to Kaku that gave him so much space, uh, uh, you know, so much space to room, uh, to, so much space to work with. Um, I want to see at least one of those two for Saturday. If I see the same lineup that he put out against Saturday, I'm going to be so fucking pissed. I mean, if we win, great. If it's a, if it's a decisive win, okay, awesome. But I'm still going to be disappointed because unless there's like two or three consecutive games where that same lineup comes out and they, they, they perform well, to me, it's not going to be good enough. To me, it's just going to be a blip because we've seen – We've seen enough of certain guys at this point, especially that center mid pairing that shows, again, in my opinion, it's it's just not going to work, at least against teams that are trying to play the way they've been playing. I, I need to see something better. I need either it's got to be uh, – I don't even care who's next to, to, to Castro's. He just – for me, he needs to be in the field. He needs to be in the field because if he goes in the field, at least I can say, okay, Chris is recognizing that what's happening in that position is not good enough and there's a lot lacking and missing right now. And that'll give me conf- uh, uh, that'll give me some confidence in him. If he comes out there with the same pairing, then I, I don't know what he's saying. I, I don't I don't I don't know what he's saying then at that point. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and like, I, honestly, at this point, I wouldn't even mind seeing Brad sit sit this game and and, and let uh and let Matthias start. It's not going to happen, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be opposed to that at all either. I mean, I guess one silver lining you can kind of look towards is, I mean, he has shown a capability of being able to adjust right in the past. I think you saw it against Santos in the second leg when they changed up the starting 11 to just go for the throat from the go. And, you know, it worked. I mean, sure, we had Florian below for that game, but it worked. Scored two goals in a very good team in Liga MX. So, I mean... Uh, like, again, you know, like, this is why I say that I think he's asking the right questions, but he hasn't tossed up the right answers on a consistent enough basis yet. And, you know, I think, like, again, if we, I'm kind of with you there in the same 11 being charted out against Minnesota United. If it is, I'm going to be a bit more worried about his ability to assess problem areas, to be quite honest with you. Because the returns from this 11 through the first four games of the season, I mean, it's not great. It's not great. It, it really isn't. I mean, like, for half the San Jose game, like, even with Florian below, like, they were out of sorts. It's not great. Um, but, very big but. Um, you know, I think it's going to be it's gonna be a testament to, I think, how much he's going to, like, allow certain things to slide. You know, and I think there's a narrative kind of, for, a hashtag narrative forming in my head that he kind of shows a bit too much leeway to certain guys who aren't performing. You know, I think he know we know his reputation as a player's coach. We know that he fosters a very nurturing environment, but you can't nurture certain guys for too long. You can't give too long of a leash to certain players sometimes because that's the idea of the churn, you know, in the system. You have, if certain guys aren't performing in... A 
more notable role, that's where you kind of have to chop and change. You know, like, you can't give certain guys time to figure it out because there are certain guys who aren't going to be more than what they are. You know, it's the same thing that we saw with Aurelian Colin and Fidel Escobar last year. Yeah. Like, where Colin was inexplicably starting over Escobar for games where both of them were healthy. You know, there's stuff like that that I didn't really understand. We knew what Colin was at that point. But we didn't give Fidel a chance to grow and show what he can do. And, you know, like, God forbid that Caceres is this year's Escobar, because I would be fucking furious if that were the case. Because, and, I, I, and I know that this is kind of like, uh, I know that this is kind of an extreme take at this moment in time. But I, I say this because, like, in my opinion, there is no reason to sit him if he is apparently good enough to warrant the sale of Tyler Adams to Leipzig and this is what Jesse was really good at he knew when to move on from certain guys because he knew certain guys were ready to step in so if Caceres is apparently ready enough to step in to allow Adams to go to Germany then why isn't he playing you know I think that's where it kind of comes from for me there is no reason at this point for him not to show what he can do in context of starting 11 one thing I will get, I will say about Christo is is he he seemed to not be as stubborn with certain things as as Jesse was. Um, you know, we saw some you know with a lot of the games last year there was dramatic second half changes. He's shown that he has a capability of I guess assessing things and making changes. He seems to be a little bit slower at at the draw this year, but I I'm gonna give him a slight benefit of the, of the doubt with that that maybe. That wasn't just an anomaly. That he 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 isn't so stubborn with uh, with certain things, and he he will you know try to make a quick adjustment or or, or change whether it's a roster tactics or whatever. So um, we'll see on 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 Saturday if if he comes out with the same team, then to me that's showing that no, you know he he he's not seeing certain things and he and he's not making the adjustments that that I feel should be made. But if he does make those changes, even if it's just one or one or one or you know in one or two spots then that'll be a good sign that maybe he's starting to to see things and, and he'll be quick to to make some uh to make some moves. I mean, look, he gave Colin that one game against Columbus and he literally never played again. So I'll give him that. Right. Yeah, I mean I guess that's fair. Um, you know, like um that's what it kind of boils down to to me. Like the name of the game for me for the lineup on Saturday is gonna be change adjustments things that we gave Chris credit for last year that he hasn't quite um, shown again this year. You know, like I I, I think as long as we see that they're going to be trying something new on Saturday, I'd be, I'd be relatively relieved by that, you know? And I guess like his comments in training this year, sorry, his comments from training about how they're going to try and come out and, make a statement within 10 or 15 minutes, you know, I mean, like I sure as hell hope that it pays off, you know, and it settles them down quickly and it gives them the confidence they need to play without fear. Like they did last year. You know, I think it's going to be the onus for me. I mean, you know, I think saying it is one thing, but I'd really like to see it on Saturday, you know, cause I think, you know, like sit, like talk is cheap, right? You, 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 it, it, it's one thing to say all the right things and then not do them. You know, but I guess if there is an 
something optimistic that you can draw from that is at least he's thinking about these things. Yeah. At least he's trying to get them to be in the right mindset where they can make an impact from the go. You know, I really do hope, hope it pays off because I don't, I want to make this clear. We don't want to see Armas fail. We don't want under any, as harsh as we have been on him in this episode, like we don't want at all, at all, to hit this Armas out bell this early in the season. And in all honesty, we're not there yet. As angry, I mean, personally, I'm not there yet. But it's I'm less Armas out. I'm more. I'm kind of worried about what he's tried to do so far. That's why I said for the next two or three weeks, like this is going to be the so-called redemption tour already this season. You know, like we can salvage these issues. We can solve them. Maybe the solutions will involve, you know, maybe the solutions are already on the roster. Maybe the solutions are related to tactics. And if they're not, well, then maybe that's where we have to start looking to finding a solution from outside the organization. But the next two or three weeks are critical in writing the ship. And that's kind of what I want to see on Saturday is that yeah. we're making progress towards that. The, the last thing I'll say in this segment is, is you, know, you brought up about scoring early. One thing that, that I think a lot of us may have forgotten because we didn't see it so much in the second half, but one of the reasons why we were so lethal in that first, in that first half of the season is because we scored first early often. And the moment you score first teams can't teams can't play direct anymore. They can't say, "Hey, you guys take the ball." They can't try to force possession to us. They have to. They have to now play. They don't have any other choice unless they're just, you know, they th- they throw their hands up and say, "Fine, we're we're just going to lose." You you want the moment they give up that first goal, that's it. Floodgates open. We saw that so many times last year, and and just sidebar, Vlo was responsible for a lot of those, uh, for a lot of those early goals. But that's one of the things that made this team so lethal in that first half and why teams never really had a chance to, to, to play as direct. Because the moment, again, the moment they gave up that first goal, that was it. So whatever has to change to, to, to push this team to try to get that first goal and get it early, that will go a long way, I think, in, in, into riding the ship. But a lot depends on, on, a lot depends on, on other stuff. Yeah, um, I guess... With that, again, we'll move on to questions, I guess. I think we've said our piece about what you might want to see on um, Saturday. So should we move on? Yep. So I guess I will begin. We want to thank everybody again for uh, sending in a question. Uh, very full one, I think, uh, this um, uh, this week. So we'll begin with a regular listener and friend of the show, Patrick Dawan, asking if Taxi is out Saturday or longer, but it makes sense to go three and five in the back. So that first question, you know, it's it's moot. Like, Kamar seems to be healthy. I don't expect him to be missing time. But then he also asked, would three DMs provide cover for the hole in midfield left by Tyler's absence? I don't think three DMs is the right answer. I think it's going to involve trying to – because I don't think we have three DMs on the roster, like plain and simple. Um you could probably, like, try playing someone who's a bit more of an anchorman, like we said with Caceres. Um, but there are going to be certain things that you can't really, that Tyler did that you're not going to be able to replicate. So I think you are going to need to hit some kind of happy medium with it where guys can kind of go out and press with confidence. There's someone kind of sitting deep, vacuuming up balls behind him. You know, I think it's stuff like that. that will make a difference. 
I mean, it goes down to this idea that the center midfield axis right now is a bit out of whack. But while I may not necessarily agree with three DMs, we are going to have to see some kind of change with the center mids at this point. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. My concern with that, though, is you basically remove one of the attacking mids. And that, in a weird way, kind of unbalances things a little bit. What made Tyler so good was your, he basically, it was almost like having 12 guys on a field. Um, he was able to do so much work on, 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 the, uh, on the defensive side. It, it freed up all the attacking players to kind of just do what, they, do, do what they do. So if you pull one of them off and then you basically just have you know, three defensive mids, how much of that attacking ability do you lose because of that? I mean, you, you could probably work some things with that, but to me, that just seems too risky. I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather just put Gasmus there and, and and put him next to you know Davis or Rizzo or someone. But I'm not too too keen on on the um, three DMs. Uh, yeah. Next question coming from Lee. Thanks for sending in this question. How much money should we invest in giving Florian below bionic limbs, or perhaps cloning him? Also, his presence in the eleven clearly brings out the best in Kaku's play. Who can fill that void in his absence? If we could play with maybe a team of three Florian Belows, like we'd be the best team in MLS. <laughs> yeah. Let alone like eleven. <laughs> I mean, I'm a bit like, uh, I mean, maybe not eleven because, like, I don't like. Obviously, I don't think Flo can defend as a left back particularly well. But that's going okay. into Matthew Doyle territory a bit too much for my liking. But <laughs> an attack full of Florian Belows at the very least would be great. Um, to fill his void in his absence, I guess, like, you know, I think he has such a unique combination of skills that the only person I see right now that is can potentially be pinpointed to as like a like-for-like like replacement is currently a Red Bull 2, and that's Jared Stroud. And I don't think he's quite ready for prime time yet. Maybe he will be after this year of seasoning with, with John Bolinick down there. But he's the only, like other guy in this like weird 10.5 hybrid role that's currently in the pipeline. So he's the only like for like replacement I see right now. And he's obviously not on the MLS roster. And I think um, it relates back to what we were talking about um, earlier in the episode about trying to fill certain things that he does to get the same kind of reaction. And, you know, it can be the shuttling that he provides with Omir Fernandez being kind of very similar in that regard. Because Florian's very good at reading in the press and he's very good at shuttling the ball forward in transition. Omir can kind of do that, maybe. Um, but I don't think there's anyone who has that um, hybrid of vision and ability to hit people in transition in the press. Like, those, player, those players apparently are a lot harder than we thought we'd be, we'd be able to find. Yeah. Um... I'm okay with whatever money they intend on ever using for transfer fees and salary for third DP to uh, instead just move that money to R&D to either clone Velo or uh, uh, create bionic limbs. So I, if that's if that ends up being if our third DP ends up being a clone Velo or bionic limbs, that's I mean that's best case scenario. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, hey, they have this awesome, amazing Formula One R and D facility. Repurpose that for for Velo. Uh, that's 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 fine. Um, as far as uh, uh, who can fill in Velo, I, I kind of touched on it before. On the first team roster, I think Omir probably has the best chance of doing 
a good portion of what Velo brought, but Velo is a very unique player, and I don't think anyone on our roster at all can can uh, can do it. But I do think, like you said, Stroud is probably organization wide. He's probably the closest one, but he's he's probably not going to be ready for you know maybe the later part of the season or next year. I wouldn't be surprised to see him maybe get a a U.S. Open Cup match or two. But um, yeah, for like right now, currently on our uh, currently on our roster. My pick is 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 finding a way to integrate uh, Omir Fernandez in there, just because I think I thought every pretty much every time he's been on the field, he's done very well. So I wouldn't mind, and he's got some characteristics I think that can help. Yeah. Um, the next one is from Ben Mindstan asking in three different accounts in typical fashion. <laughs> Thoughts in this lineup? It's a four triple two with Robles, Kamar, Parker, Long, Amir, CCJ, Sad, Omir, Kaku, BWP, MJ. I think you know four triple two is the end goal. They've been trying to move towards it to various degrees of success over the last few last couple years. I guess you could try it. Um, I don't know how much Chris. I mean, it's clearly on Chris's mind since he mentioned that. You know, they have at least kind of flirted with this idea of playing two strikers at some point. Um, I mean, I'd say maybe give it a shot at some point. I mean, for drastic formation changes aren't anything new to this organization anyway. I'm sure how Jesse kind of introduced three in the back like halfway through the 2017 season and it turned Danny Royer into like literally like the hottest player in the planet. Jesse so, didn't even know what to call it at first. Like they asked him what formation was. He was like, ah, three, 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 one, five. Yeah. <laughs> like he went, he, he, he blasted off like four different formations. Just kind of like shrugged his shoulder. Like, yeah, formations don't even matter anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it'd be nice if we had that kind of, uh, ace in the hole up the sleeve maybe you know i mean and then even before that uh, even mike petke figured out to play a 4-2-3-1 instead of 4-4-2 yeah so you know i think if a formation change is needed and it ends up sparking it i say why the fuck not yeah. so i mean we already that's oh, right go ahead yeah no i mean like it, i just think it's clear to me that we need some kind of change in this lineup because this this starting 11 in this formation doesn't seem to be it pal and if uh Formation, you know, another vaunted formation change results in better results, and I say that's great. Just go with it. I see any point, see any problem trying it at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've definitely used the four, the the, the four triple two quite a few times this year. I I occasionally take pictures at the games just to kind of like assess, you know, positioning and stuff like that. And I have so many pictures of them being in a full on four triple two. It's it's ridiculous. Um, with this particular lineup. The only, in my opinion, the only way Brad realistically could be on the field next to Matthias in a in a two striker formation is if Royer's off the field, because the biggest the biggest thing Royer can do for us, and, and when he's at his best, is basically when he is the second striker. He when he's when he's playing out wide, he doesn't exist. He I, 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 if you think of any game where you where you're like, wow, Royer was kind of like ghost today he really didn't do much today i guarantee you if you look at if you were to really analyze the game he's not he he really wasn't pushing in that much so if you have brad and you have matthias out there royer i don't want him I, i'm sorry i just don't think he fits on there because again you're just going to have him you know playing behind and he's just that's just not a good position for him i don't think um that formation i think might actually be the best possible formation if we were to do a uh, straight four triple two with two real strikers with Bradley playing. 
anything I, I I I maybe I'm just blanking right now, but if Brad's going to be up top with another striker that isn't Royer, Royer has to be off the field. I would I would I really would like to see that lineup actually. Yeah. Uh, the next one coming from his uh, other account, Enabong Ephraim. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts on Wooly taking over first team. And this is kind of an interesting one for me. I think uh, you can see from Wooly's body of work with the uh, development squad. Uh, he's very good at coaching the system. And I think one of the most impressive things that he's done over the years is just take whatever he's been given. And it's sometimes been a very bare bones roster, some parts. Just kind of cobble it together into something that can function and play our system. And that's really, I think, something that... Um, I think he deserves a lot of credit for it because I think it's a lot easier said than done. And on that topic, like, I don't, like, like, you know, I think that's probably going to be his best attribute, but that does kind of change at senior level when it becomes less about taking risks with people being played in certain positions or trying controlled experiments with players when, and it comes down to winning things, right? I think, like, the, the, level of attention is going to be raised much higher in MLS than, you know, like the simple fact of the matter is that the quality of players that you're going to be going up against in MLS is a lot higher than you might find at USL. Like, I think he may also potentially benefit from the fact that a lot of the guys that he gets at USL level are kind of on a pathway towards being better than USL level, right? Or going up against USL level players. But I think he does deserve credit, I guess, for raising the bar from USL level quality to MLS level quality. And you always find MLS level quality contributors coming from that team. So I think his ability to kind of mold guys from outside of the organization or from outside of the system into very useful players who can contribute at MLS level is the biggest thing that he has going for him. But the question for me is whether or not he's going to be given that level of experimentation with the first team. I don't think the onus really changes that much because some level of talent development is going to be needed with the first team, especially if they start sending us more players like Matthias Jorgensen with an eye in Leipzig that they want to develop. Oh, I think so. I think the so I don't think the onus for Woolley's job would change that much in certain regards, but it's a question of leeway for me, and that's where it gets kind of sticky, I guess. I think. My conclusion is that if they go with an in-org replacement, if Armas really does end up not working out, Wallenek has earned it. He's probably the most sensible guy because of his ability to coach and implement a system, as well with these little possession wrinkles that we talk about. You know, I mean, I don't think it's exactly a coincidence that RB2 in possession moved the ball up quickly and directly, you know, against, I mean, it's against USL level opposition but at least he's kind of thinking about possession in terms of our shape. And that's kind of encouraging in that regard. So I think that ability to coach players in that regard is a very big plus for me. I wouldn't be opposed to him taking over down the line if Armas doesn't work out. So yeah, yeah. that's kind of where I stand. Um, if it's internal, yeah, it, it's, it's Wally. Um, if they feel they, if they feel it has to be internal, then I'm okay with that. I guess my only concern with him is the fact that his job is to develop. It's not to win. Like winning is, is pretty secondary and to, to a certain degree 
with Red Bull too, because again, they're a development. I mean, he he experiments, he tries things. He's he's openly said that you know he puts players in certain situations to to kind of test test you know their 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 mentality. You know, which means sometimes pulling them off when they're playing good, or, or you know, not starting when they're playing well. So he would, I guess, part of me would worry about him turning that portion of his brain off and turning on. You need to win every single game. He would probably—I don't see why he wouldn't be able to do that, but that would kind of stick in the back of my head. Um, other than that, yeah, I mean, he knows the system well. He's he, tr- he knows that pretty much every formation the team plays. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, there'll there'll always be a level of development for first team for certain first team players. He develops them very well in, in uh, with Red Bull too. I mean, if it has to be an internal move, then yeah, it, it's it's got to be him. For what it's worth, I think an Armist replacement would probably be some kind of uh, Red Bull Global Rolodex signing, yeah. like someone that Ralph Ragnick has his eye on in Europe, yep. and wants to give a team to kind of like learn how to coach the system or something. So. I think those are the two options for me. Um, the next one coming from his brand account, the Energy Drink Soccer Show. Thoughts on EDSS so far? I, I listened to the first episode. It was pretty shit posty. I liked it. It was a very Eric Andre. So keep doing what you guys are doing. It's a very good niche in the podcast world. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hilarious. It really is. Um, I we, we there's so many like segments of of like Red Bull podcasting covered now. It's ridiculous. And that one, that one's funny as hell that, um, it's basically, it's basically RBNY shit posting. Like just imagine if like RBNY, like the best of RBNY Twitter was a podcast in certain ways, but more shit posty. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's unfiltered RBNY Twitter at the podcast. Yeah. And that's pretty great. If you <laughs> ask me. It's a, it's a pretty good palate cleanser, especially like, uh, in the dark times we find ourselves in now. Okay. They're not that dark. So, um, <laughs> year of the nine. um coming this one coming from edward ritter thanks again edward for sending in this question um view from 202 is interesting this week your thoughts on whether armis has a fully formed plan on both sides of the ball um i think you know i think for me personally like i am of the opinion that there is a clear vision that chris armis wants to do with this team like i don't really think he's clueless in regards to what he wants out of the team but I think he's currently struggling with getting what he wants or executing what he wants or kind of getting his vision realized on the field, right? I think I think clearly, like, he kind of is, like, thinking of these things, um, you know, about if plan A doesn't work, can we do this? You know, I think, like, these are questions I do want my head coach to be asking because – to a degree, it is trying to make the team more dynamic and more diverse. But the problem is, is that like I'm not really sure if this team, as it currently stands in its current form, is well suited for the Plan Bs that he's resorting to. And I think, for the matter, I mentioned this like earlier in my analysis. Like this, it was a banner game, if you ask me, for straying too far away from the tenets of the system. You know, like, I think I do see people saying that, oh, the system is no longer the star, apparently. Well, I mean, this is sort of like the thing that we talk about and why we stress you cannot stray too far away from the central poles of this tactical setup. Yep. Because if you do, 
you get stuff like what you saw against Chicago. You know, like this whole, the system isn't the star anymore thing. Well, the system that was played against Chicago wasn't the system that was the star. Nope. That has been the star for the last few years. You know, like this is what happens when you break too much with the central tenets of the philosophy. You know, and it really does show that these things aren't FIFA. You can't just willy-nilly go and say, I want to play more possession and do these kind of things. No. And that's not even what Armas is trying to do. You know, like he's trying to find that middle ground that Marco Rose found. But so far, the earlier results haven't been great. But, you know, and I think we, I bring up Marco Rose a lot. You know, like for every Marco, for, for Marco Rose who figured it out, there's also another, there's also potential for a Ralph Hasenhutl who didn't figure it out. And it ended up costing him his job because he strayed too far away from the central tenets of the high press. You know, and I think that's a very fine balance that only certain coaches can find. But if Chris becomes our Marco Rose, great. But he's just as likely, it may it may actually even be more likely that he ends up being our Ralph Hasenhutl, which isn't great. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with anything. I'm just gonna, I'll just take it a step further in that this is exactly why this system is a star because when you don't play – it's not. It's like what you said. When when you don't play the way we're supposed to play, these are the results you get. But at the same time, when you don't have the right pieces in the right spots, this is also what you. This is also what you see. So when people like myself harp on making sure that that the team goes after the right guys and the right kind of players and whatnot, this is why. Because if you don't have that right balance, if you don't have the right pieces in this system, you don't have the right cogs in there then you can see things kind of fall apart. When you see both of those happen, when you, when, when you don't have that right that right center mid doing the things that he needs to do, if you don't have the right left back doing the things he needs to do, the right right back doing the things he needs to do, the right midf- attacking midfielders and, 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 and the strikers, if you, don't, if you have enough pieces not doing what they're supposed to do or guys in there that don't fully fit the most realized version of what that position needs, this is what you get. So what, what people are seeing is, in, in a weird way, what we have been saying why this team needs to stick to, to getting the right players and, and getting the right fits and playing a certain way. Because when you stray away from that, this is what you get. Yeah. Um, there's this question from Istvan, actually, very, very related to this. Confidence level in this team being able to play in this possession-based pressing system. And I can tell you right now, it's not very high. Yes, you can probably have tilted from the rest of the episode because I think there are certain um, things that don't quite fit what Armis wants to achieve, and that may require bringing in, you know, either aborting the whole experiment and going kind of back to more tenets of pressing from the go, or it may just involve, you know, I think churning parts of the roster to try and make this more fully realized. But I think in terms of a short-term fix, one is clearly a bit more. Um, one is clearly a bit more um, of an immediate solution than the other. And anyway, like we shouldn't be going for the latter if the proof of concept doesn't work anyway. You know, I think it would be very foolish to purposefully change up parts of the roster to try and accommodate more for this possession-based style or of a more of a possession-based style, which again, wasn't quite the end goal apparently, but it would be pretty foolish. I think seeing as how the proof of 
concept this currently is doesn't work. And, you know, if you're going to be changing up a team that has proven that it can play a winning formula with what's currently on the roster with it, by, by bringing in other guys who potentially may not even be able to replicate that as well as not being able to take to a more possession pressing based game, then I think that'd be kind of foolish. So, yeah. Um, to answer the second part of your question, which is, does it get scrapped for the more traditional press or Armis feel the pressure to revert back to it to get results? Yeah, I mean, like going back to team dick punch is a more immediate solution. I don't think that they've completely forgotten how to play like that. I think, you know, there are probably is the most um, well-suited solution to uh, the team's problems at this point. But I think as Fernando said, like you're not going to be able to get a like-for-like replica of that just because you're missing a major piece in Tyler Adams. Maybe you find a nice, happy medium with someone else that's currently on the roster. and But if it don't, then that's where you kind of need to start asking questions of who can we bring in to try and replicate a measure of that. Maybe it was supposed to be Hans von der Bruggen, but he didn't want to come. So that's unfortunate. But at least they're looking for a six in the market. We know that. And I have my doubts that you're going to be able to find a player like Tyler Adams on the market, but you can find someone who can do what he does to like, a more to to like a slightly lesser degree you know i do i do believe that player is out there and i do believe that we could probably go find him if we wanted to um yeah i mean i i again i i'm not i i have little confidence that whatever this whatever this possession wrinkle that chris refuses to say is even possession um, would work, but if it does work, if this team does somehow manage to to figure out a way where you know what all else fails, fuck it, we got to hold on to the ball. If they can figure that out, we're probably gonna win every game this year. Because I mean, at that point, we can we can we can punch you in a dick, or or we can you know s- slowly surgically remove your fucking head. I mean, I guess as best case, basically become Salzburg. Um. I, I don't have high confidence that'll happen though. I, we just don't, to be very blunt, I don't think we have the level. I don't think Chris is, and no disrespect to him, I don't think he's he's Rose. I, I don't think he'll be able to coach that into the team. And with with all due respect to our players, I don't think we have like that level of talent that Salzburg has across the, their entire roster, basically, to implement something like that. So yeah. at, at best... They get a little better at it, but I don't. I don't think they'll be like this super comfortable team, either. You know, full full EDS or fine. You know, we'll just we'll just you know kind of ping the ball around and, and possess and, and still hurt you. Um, uh, one thing I will say regarding um, it, this idea of Chris kind of figuring out is, Matthias was sent over here kind of for a reason. And I think everyone was very straightforward in that reasoning. He has his sights for Leipzig. And I don't think this is one, I don't think it was one of those things where it's like, Oh, you come to us. Look, we sold someone to to Leipzig. You totally can be the next guy. It definitely came off as like, they went to him and said, Hey, look, man, if you do good with us, we're going to send you over there. And I think there was a difference there. And I guess a part of me feels that if, if Chris, can't figure this out at a certain point this year to the point where it's hurting the investment in Gaku. 
and it's hurting the investment in Matthias, maybe they pull the plug sooner than later. So yeah, m- maybe there's a separate question of, is there hope that Chris figures this out? And maybe a second question of, does the team just generally speaking get sorted out in a way that changes in a more positive direction, whether that means either by Chris figuring out or rebel global figuring out for him. Yeah. Um, it's fun. Also asking is our ceiling grinding out one nil at home draws away while Armist the team figure it out. It, it isn't, you know, I think this team is severely underperforming its talent level relative to the rest of MLS. And I think as we've gone in really deep, um, detail that the tactics may be a bit of a, you know, I mean, it may be a bit of a factor in exactly why that is. So, um, you know, I really do believe that our ceiling is a lot higher than what we're currently seeing. And we're going through a bit of a rut right now. Our ceiling, you know, I don't think it may necessarily be the best team in MLS. I think it certainly could be there. But this year, maybe, I mean, their ceiling, or at least for me, this year is an MLS Cup contender. I mean, it still is one of the best teams in MLS. I don't think it's the best team in MLS, but it certainly is one of the best teams in MLS. And our ceiling should be, we should be trying to play towards realizing that a bit more. And I'm going to be very disappointed if they don't. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I don't think that's, I, I don't, I don't think that'll happen. Um I still do believe that this is the team has the potential to be a 60 plus point team. Like just in, in terms of what the, of, of the most, the best, most realized version of this team can be. The question becomes how close will we get to that? Now, if that happens later in the season, we're probably not winning the shield and you know, that's very disappointing, but it doesn't mean we're out of the U S open cup and it doesn't mean we're out of the MLS cup. There's a long, long, long storied history of very, very, very mediocre teams winning the MLS Cup or at least making it to the final. So even though the format has changed, as long as we're in the playoffs, we have just as much of a chance as as anyone else. And the U.S. Open Cup is just kind of what it is. You know, a lot of I think comes down to a home draw. Um but yeah, I don't, I don't think our ceiling is definitely, um, it's definitely just grinding out one, one, nothing, you know, wins or losses at home, uh, while Armis tries to figure something out, because honestly, I don't think he has that much time to figure it out. If, if, if this team is still this mediocre and, and like just borderline gross halfway into the season, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some surprise moves. Yeah. Like, seriously, like, I don't think it's acceptable at all for a club of our level to be straddling on the uh, bubble for the playoffs. Like that, 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 that would be a significant step back. And I'll tell you right, I'm going to be very, very honest. If we end up being some like sixth place team with like 55 points and we still win the cup, I'll be happy as fuck. Cause we wanted, we want a trophy and we want to, you know, finally won our first cup. That that will still be a somewhat of a disappointing season for me because I want my team to be good, I want my team to be great, I want my team to 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 dominate, and finishing that kind of season is to me wouldn't be good enough. I mean, it would be great, of course, still obviously 
Silverware, silverware, CCL for me is is the bar. However, you qualify for that, awesome. But 2015, 2016, and 2018, I think the team showed the team raised a bar as far as their quality in the regular season. And the table doesn't lie; it never lies. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't it be something winning MLS Cup in a nine year? <laughs> that would be hilarious. How about that, right? Like. <laughs> Um, all right. Last question coming from JJ um, at Metrostar JJ. Should we be concerned about depth this early or should we wait and see how the season plays out? And I think depth is not really one of my worries right now. A lot of my worries are really, really a lot more tactical in nature as I think we've gone in depth about this episode. Um, there are some issues I think with how, the squad is a fit for certain tactics that Chris Armas is trying to implement and whether or not Chris Armas himself is implementing them or communicating what he wants out of them properly. You know, I think, I think those are seriously the more pressing issues right now, I think. And if, you know, it goes back to what I said at the top of the episode, uh, a lot of it rides on the manager's ability to put the players on your best position on their best platform to succeed and excel. And it doesn't see, and it really seems to be a bit more that the manager's instructions aren't quite doing that right now. And, but there are some roster depth concerns. I think, you know, we, we've, we've beat the drum on this until like, I think the drum head needs replacing and is out of tune at this point that we need fullback depth. Our defense still looks a bit thin. And now it appears that we might need a more specialized defensive midfielder if none of the current options work out. So, I mean, yeah, again, it's not really down to depth. I think it's really more down to Dennis in this case and his ability to um, address problem areas on the roster. I mean, the fact of the matter is that, like, the guys that Dennis has brought in have generally been very valuable but I'm not really sure if Dennis has brought in like enough. It's not a question about quality with Dennis for me. It's a question of quantity. And there's always going to be this question mark about whether or not he's brought in like enough to see us through. Um, it's kind of where it is for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think that our depth <laughs> is better this year than last year. Um, but st- strictly just r- roster wise, um, I'm, I'm still infuriated just like I was June of last year at the complete lack of, 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 uh, depth in the left back spot. I think we're fine in a right back spot with Duncan. Um, he's clearly not a left back. I, I, I tossed the idea up of, you know, you know, with the landing game or well, what, you know, sucks that we could at least, didn't at least have Duncan. Maybe he could have slotted in as a left back, but I think we saw that he's really not that good of a left back at all. Um, but I think we're fine in a right back. I think if Duncan can stay healthy and, and Amir can stay healthy, that's a very, very, very solid uh, uh, right back, uh, uh, you know, duel right there. Um, left back, we're still thin. I think Laid fits less and less, uh, you know, less, less and less as time goes. Um, definitely a lot less than uh, than he did last year, especially with with how teams are now changing how they're playing a little bit. Um. And the, I guess the only other spot I, I worry about is, is a spot I didn't really think about too much. And, and like you said, lens, it's kind of that, that, you know, defensive mid, uh, defensive mid spot. 
but I'm not still worried about our depth. I think I think we have enough now to 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 win and rotate and do well, um, and kind of wait and see what happens in the summer. You know, let let's let's assess the team at that point. We do have two roster spots open, including one DP spot. I know I'm sure they still have a lot of uh, allocation money. So I feel confident in the group. That, the group what we have now, again, just speaking roster wise, for the most part, um, to make it again make it into the summer, right when we hit the U.S. Open Cup, and and maybe we have to you know start making better uh, better moves. But like like you said, Lens, my bigger concern is is it's really just figuring out what's that best starting eleven, what's the best what's the best lineup so we can play the absolute best version of. Of, of how this team can play and in the most balanced way, because right now I mentioned it before, I, I think they're even, even outside of just the tactics, there's just a lot of weird things going on. That's just being made worse by the tactics. And I think that's maybe why the depth has not looked as well, because there's still just those underlying issues. So I'm not worried about the depth at all. Really? Right now, at least, because for now, you know, we just have MLS to worry about. And, you know, there's some schedule congestion, but I don't think we should have to deal with huge rotation like we did, you know, uh, uh, when CCL was going on and, and in the summer when U.S. Open uh, when the U.S. Open Cup starts. We have other issues that need to be that need to be dealt with, I think, uh, beyond that. Yeah, for sure. And I think that kind of does it for us here. Uh, it was a very tweet through it episode. <laughs> As it is for crisis season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a uh, bit of a departure from uh, the usual optimistic outlook on this show. But, you know, I think it will leave you off with this is that it's still early enough in the season where we can get the answers that we need to write the ship. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's still early, you guys. Um, if you look at the uh, state of the table last year at this point of the season, I think you'd be shocked personally yeah. at how much some of those early season teams fell off. So, yeah, I mean, uh, without further ado, I guess uh, Fernando will see you at the arena on Saturday, and I'll be watching from afar, as I usually do, Sunday morning for me. And this clock's in at about, uh, I think, at about an hour, 40 minutes. So I think uh, episodes going forward will be at about this length, if not slightly shorter. So uh, thank you for sticking through our uh, two-hour marathons to start the season. (laughs) Hopefully this is a bit more palatable for you guys. so once again, thanks to everyone who contributed on the show. And Fernando will see you. And we will see you, actually. I'll be online. Fernando will be there physically. See you Saturday. Peace. Later.